This is episode number 24 with Lydia Knight. Welcome to The Marriage Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Price, international marriage interventionist and best-selling co-author of Success Breakthroughs. On this show, I provide innovative solutions for marital success by focusing on personal development and relationship transformation. Every week, I'll be talking with thought leaders from around the world and will be providing your weekly dose of wisdom so you can catapult yourselves to marital success and true life fulfillment. I ask you to love one another, encourage and support each other, and live with passion. Are you ready? Here we go. Lydia Knight is an eating disorder expert that helps women overcome eating disorders using a combination of neuroscience and mindfulness. She's here to talk with us about the signs and symptoms of eating disorders, what to do if you suspect your wife or daughter to have an eating disorder, how to create healthy eating habits, and our language regarding our own self-image. Lydia, welcome to The Marriage Show. Hello. Thank you for having me on, Jennifer. So happy to be here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I love the work you're doing. I love your message and I love the results your clients get. So I feel very honored to have you here and and I'm excited to dive in and talk about this sensitive yet very important subject. I think this is a topic that we as a nation need to talk about more often. Let's start. Tell us the estimated number of people here in the United States with eating disorders. Yeah. So when we look at that, one thing we need to think about is it's hard to get statistics on things that are so secretive. A big part of eating disorders is a lot of times, you know, we're trying to hide it from everyone else. And so it doesn't always show up, you know, as people saying, Hey, I have an eating disorder because they're, they're trying to not look like they have one. And so, you know, there are the stats of, you know, 3%, you know, women are, you know, in anorexia or bulimia or binge eating that are sort of like, Hey, like this is diagnosed and they're in a clinic sort of thing. But then, when we look at other things like a study with University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, you know, essentially it's you know, 75% of women, you know, are behaving abnormally around food or, you know, nearly two thirds of women have any disordered behavior. So when you have real conversations with real women, even on a large scale, what happens is it's an extremely, extremely common thing that almost goes as sort of an acceptable behavior a lot of times because we have such a fear around weight gain or we have such a, you know, acceptance of being, you know, restrictive with food that people oftentimes get praised when they're full out in an eating disorder because they're looking so good. Right. Mm. And so that's an important thing is that it's a really, really common thing, but there are many different stats because a lot of times people don't even realize that they have an eating disorder because they just think they don't have willpower or they just think that they just can't stick to their diet or whatever it is. Mm. 75%. I mean, even if the number is anywhere remotely near that high, that is, that's chilling. That's really, really alarming. Well, let's start for people who are really just unaware. Let's start with the names of the most common eating disorders. Can you just name those off for us? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's anorexia where that's just like a compulsive restriction where people are sort of, you know, starving away because they're not eating enough. There's binge eating where people are eating, you know, either it can look a few different ways, but, you know, large amounts of food, really sort of like extreme out of control overeating. And then there's bulimia where it's sort of this back and forth of, you know, there's the binging or the overeating, and then there's some sort of compensation for it. You know, we're, you know, trying to do something about it. So it might be like people binge and then they purge, like they throw up their food or chewing food and spitting it out, or they're taking laxatives to try to be done with it, or they're over-exercising or they're starving themselves the next day. I mean, really, a lot of times we call it yo-yo dieting when people are, you know, overeating and then trying to make up with it. But it's really sort of a, a bulimic behavior because you're in that cycle. And then there's, you know, overeating, which is sort of like a, a lesser binge eating. But those are sort of the main ones. Wow. That's, I, I can't even imagine what that does to the body to be able to take in large amounts and then purge it. And then, uh, okay, so those are the common behaviors behind so bulimia is where you eat a lot of food and then you purge somehow, whether it's vomiting or taking laxatives. Anorexia is not eating enough food so that you're literally starving yourself. Explain the difference again between just overeating and binge eating. So, so binge eating is where you eat a lot, but then you don't purge. Is that right? You just... Exactly. There just isn't a compensating behavior, okay. right? Okay. So you're just sort of eating a lot of food and then you just keep going and then you just eat a lot of food again. So it's really sort of a spectrum. So overeating is a lot of times just a different name for binge eating. You know, some people will be diagnosed with binge eating with, you know, a lot of food all at once, or maybe it's sort of a graze binge where it's all throughout the day where it's more semantics, but it's all on sort of a, a spectrum. Okay. Got it. I understand. I understand. Okay. You know, going going along with that, which is the unhealthy, I think what many people would just say, oh, it's just an unhealthy behavior from time to time. But I, I often hear people casually describe themselves as being an emotional eater. Is this of concern? Is this an eating disorder or is it a gateway to trouble? Yeah. And really great question because, you know, there's nothing wrong with emotional eating. Sometimes we have emotions like, hey, we're at a birthday party and this is happy and let's celebrate with food or, you know, hey, you know, I feel sad. I would love some chocolate, you know, cheer myself up. You know, it's just like, there's not like a danger in normal eating. But what happens is emotional eating oftentimes is the label that people give when they're feeling out of control with food. So any sort of label that you're attributing why you're not in control of your food is definitely a concern. So you may call it, hey, I'm an emotional eater, as in when I feel happiness or sadness or you know depression or whatever it is, then I turn to food and I feel out of control with it. You know, somebody could call themselves a stress eater. It's just a way of labeling why you have a bad relationship with food. So yeah, it's definitely a concern because you're attributing your eating that's out of control to something else. And if you're feeling out of control with food, then that is the concern. Okay. So if it's once or twice a year, not a big deal, but if it's something that is a pattern to the point that a person labels themselves as being a stress eater or an emotional eater, then that's when it's classified more as a eating disorder instead of just a once or twice a year bad habit. 
Am I understanding that? Yeah. So the couple of things to look at there is number one, looking at the cycle, right? Is this something that keeps happening? Whether that's in a month or a day or a week, is this something that you keep on tripping over? Like you say, you're not going to do it again, and then you do it again, and then you make that promise again, and then you do it again. That's definitely something to look at when you're seeing a pattern of what's happening. And the other thing to look at is how you're feeling about it. So, you know, there are people who might, you know, have a big meal and they're out with their friends and man, I'm so stuffed. But that's different than feeling like, what am I doing? Why am I eating this? Why can't I stop? That sort of out of control, you know, that regret and shame afterwards, how you're feeling about your eating. And the most important question to ask yourself is just, if I ate like this for the rest of my life, would it be okay with me? Would it hold me back from how I wanted to live if I always had this relationship with food? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then that's something to look at because your relationship with food is holding you back from living how you want to. Okay. That was actually going to be my next question for you, what, what the difference is between an occasional overindulgence of something and then a true eating disorder. So what you're saying is it comes down to the frequency of the pattern and then the emotions that you feel when, when you're indulging. Is that right? Yeah. And just to be clear, you know, I'm not a doctor who's diagnosing any eating disorders. We specialize in eating disorders. We're the best in the world at ending them, but it's the same principles. If somebody is compulsively overeating and feels awful about it, or if somebody's, you know, full out, you know, has bulimia and is binging and purging 14 times a day, the same principles get you free. It's about being able to be done and free so that food is not controlling your life. You're able to do what you want to, and you're able to feel an integrity with your own decisions. So you want to look at that. And then if that's the case where it's like, yeah, this is something that is controlling me and I don't want that anymore, then there's a way to get free of that. Okay. Okay. Got it. I can't imagine someone purging 14 times a day. I don't even eat 14 times a day. I can see how that literally controls your life. Absolutely. And a myth that I just wanted to spell here, Jennifer, is a lot of times people think of that like, wow, you throw up your food and you binge 14 times a day. A lot of times we think of that as somebody who's, you know, mentally ill or like, you know, what's wrong that you're doing that. An important thing to understand is, I mean, eating disorders impact all sorts of people, but I mean, these are career women and CEOs. These are stay-at-home moms that do a great job taking care of their families. These are people who serve in their communities and are the people that we think have it all together. And that's part of what's so hard on their identity is because you know they look like they have it all together to the outside world and then they're spending 4 hours alone in their room binging and purging food and it feels just as bad to them as somebody else would think it is right it's just mm-hmm. it's really awful but this is something that really impacts a lot of very just smart intelligent hard working accomplished people that you'd never know so an eating disorder like that is not classified as a mental disorder So it depends on who you ask, right? So there's sort of the model of, oh, well, if you have an eating disorder, you have a mental illness, that's the way you're always going to be. You just just accept that you're doomed and you're mentally ill and you just should expect to manage it maybe for the rest of your life, but by the way, you're broken. Mm -hmm. That's one way of looking at it. The statistics on that with that model are about a 1% to 2% success rate and it has never gotten better over decades of treatment that way. And so I can see that because it doesn't even feel right when you say it it doesn't sound right and it doesn't feel right so I'm not surprised that the that the success statistics are that low it just yeah. it doesn't, there's there's something wrong with that I think yeah and not only that but with that belief system it 
oftentimes makes it worse because people are like, oh, well, I just thought that I had this weird thing with food I had to fix, but I guess I'm broken and mentally ill. So now they have an identity of, well, I'm powerless against it now. I might as well binge because I mean, that's how I cope or whatever it is. Yeah. That's how you throw someone into a a state of victimhood as well. Like there's nothing that can be done. You're just, you're stuck. You're there. Have have fun. That's, oh, that's awful. So the perspective that we take, Jennifer, which, you know, everything we do is based off of the data of what actually works. And so, you know, with all the data that we have and, you know, seeing people after 45 years of binge eating or bulimia be free after, you know, a handful of months working with us is that you don't label it as a mental illness at all. The approach that we take is this is a habit. Anything that you do, anything that you feel is just because of a series of thoughts that leads you there. And so it's really a habit of thought. And when you break that, then you break the behavior. And it's simply about breaking that habit. And that's why people can get free so quickly, no matter how long they've been in this cycle. So is it classified a mental illness? Maybe by some people. Does it serve us to think of it that way? This the, the results say no. And so, yeah, I hope that answers your question there. It does. I think it's, I mean, I, I don't know. You're the expert, not me, but it seems almost like it's, it's like another bad habit that's devastating to your body, like smoking or even drugs, you know, where there's maybe even a slight addiction to the behavior, but that, or, or just a bad habit, but it can be corrected. Exactly. Yeah. I recently read that more women than men suffer from eating disorders and that the United States and Australia are the top two leading nations for eating disorders. Is that right? Yeah. So the number one cause of eating disorders is restriction, the restrictive eating, you know, mentally and physically that restriction. And so with that, isn't it interesting that the United States and Australia also have the highest rates of body dissatisfaction, body hate, and dieting. Mm. Because a lot of times the top reason that people get into an eating disorder is because of restrictive dieting. Because you go to the restriction and then it turns into the binging. And then, well, what do you have to do because you binged? Well, you have to restrict even more. And then it turns into a cycle. So yeah, absolutely. Mm. What impact do you see on marriages when one partner has an eating disorder? What do you see with the women that are married? What do you see? What patterns do you see there? Yeah. So one pattern is, of course, of secrecy. There's a lot of shame around this. So a lot of times, you know, it impacts men and women, but, you know, to answer the rest of your last question, you know, it does impact women more, but because women tend to restrictively diet more, there's more pressure on women to manipulate their, their bodies to be thinner. So a lot of times, you know, I'll speak of it as, you know, let's assume a husband and wife and let's assume a wife has the eating disorder. So one element is secrecy. There's so much shame around it that a lot of times, you know, women will binge when their husbands aren't around, you know, they'll been told, you know, they're alone, you know, their kids will be in the room doing something else and, you know, they'll sort of be sneaking off and doing that. And there's so much shame around that. The other thing is, is that it really impacts closeness and intimacy, you know, both physically because, you know, we feel so awful after we binge that we don't want to be touched. We don't want to be seen. And a lot of time husbands don't know like why their wives are really distant or, you know, they think maybe they're emotional or they don't, you know, love them anymore, whatever it is. And we hear so many women say what an awful situation that is because they feel like they can't tell their husbands that they have an eating disorder and they've been hiding it for so long, but then they don't have another explanation for, you know, why they don't want to be touched or they want to be, you know, distanced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't feel like they can be truly known because they have 
this this awful secret that they're keeping. And so there's definitely that that distance that's created, you know, a lot of secrecy, and it's very difficult on a marriage and a relationship when you have those elements there. This is one issue that in my years of working with couples, I actually have not come across. So educate me right now, as, mm-hmm. as well as everyone listening. What if someone suspects that their spouse has an eating disorder? How should they approach their spouse and how should they help the situation? Yeah. And I think it's more important to start with the things not to do because a lot of times our intuition of how to help someone with an eating disorder is the exact opposite of what helps. So a lot of times when we find out that someone is out of control with food, in an attempt to help them, we want to help them control the food. Well, if you're out of control, then I'll help you control it. So, hey, well, you know, tell me before you binge, call me first. Or, hey, well, you know, I'll watch what you eat and, you know, I'll portion stuff for you. And what happens is all that does is it drives up the secrecy and it drives up the eating disorder because when the restriction is not just from that person, but now the restriction is from the people around them trying to, in quotes, help, then that actually makes it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So one thing is, is to just, you know, help them to be allowing food, you know, Hey, you can, you can eat whatever you want. You know, there's no judgment, you know, just having them, you know, have a safe place. The other thing is to also not praise people for their bodies. You know, if you see somebody, you know, even if they were what you consider overweight and they're starting, you know, to lose that weight, don't assume it's in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. A lot of times what happens is people start getting praise. Oh, wow. You're looking so good. Oh, wow. You lost weight. Oh, that's so amazing. Oh, you look so pretty. And that sends the message, well, you weren't pretty before. You're pretty now that you have an eating disorder and now that you're restricting and now that you're purging or whatever it is. And so it really creates this reward for you know doing something that's so unhealthy. Now, when you see people lose weight, that's not always the case, but a lot of times it's in an unhealthy way. So those are some like not to do's and it depends on the relationship that you have with someone. You know, always coming from a place of love and openness and without judgment is going to be important. So just keeping it open, you know, maybe just, you know, saying, Hey, like, darling, I, I have noticed there's some distance, you know, I've noticed this. I want you to know that I love you and you can tell me anything. And if there's anything that I can do for you, you know, like I would love to support you in that, but, you know, just really have that open door and they need to make the decision to come to you. It's not something you're going to force out of them, but knowing that they have a safe space is really important because you know there's a lot of women in situations where you know they know that if they told their husbands and they would just try to control them more you know take away their credit cards or whatever it is that they're going to try to do to you know stop them from doing this destructive thing that it's it's just not effective mm. i want to touch on one comment you made for a second about because i'm i'm oh this is making me sick <laughs> thinking about it i'm so guilty of this though but after you witness a friend who has been, you know, cleaning up their diet, going to the gym, working out. I'm so guilty of, of looking at so many of my friends who have done this and said, wow, you look fantastic. Congratulations on, on all that you've been able to accomplish with your, with your changes in health and lifestyle. And you look great. You look beautiful. You look fantastic. I never stop to think that that sends the message that you didn't look great before. Yeah. And the message that, you know, whatever you're doing, 
keep doing it, even if it's an unhealthy thing. And I mean, honestly, this is a really great practice to just put into place with everyone in our lives. Think of how much we praise women and little girls for, oh, you look so good. You're so pretty. You look so great. And it sends this message of that's where your value is based. That is why we are one reason why we have women in this world where, you know, it's not an uncommon thing that even if they're doing something that's killing them or so damaging, that it seems more worth it to do that than possibly gain weight Mm -hmm. because we put so much emphasis on, well, anything you need to do to not get fat, to not gain weight, to not not be worth anything because you're not thin enough. And so the less emphasis we can put on thinness equals beauty or equals worth, that will just make the world a lot better place. Yeah. So recap for us, just to, just to be really clear, what should a person do if you see someone you're concerned about? How, how should they handle the situation? If, if they think that their spouse has an eating disorder, lay out for them again what they should do, what actions they should take, and what specific things do they say? Because I know that's, that's a touchy subject. And if you, say, if you say something the slightest bit wrong, it can send the whole conversation to hell in a second. So recap for us what they should do and exactly what they should say again. Yeah. So coming from a place of love and openness and understanding Mm -hmm. and avoiding any sort of, you know, control or you wanting to fix the situation. And so just approaching somebody and, hey, you know what, like, you know, I've seen that or I felt that, you know, you've been more distant and, you know, maybe unhappy. And look, uh, again, like coming from this place of that you don't know the answer. It's not you making any sort of demands. So a really great phrase that you can use is, I have no idea if this is right and I could be totally wrong. That is a great way to start. Mm -hmm. I could be totally wrong. But I was listening to this interview and I'm wondering if you are having any sort of like food struggles and I want you to know, like I'm in full support of you and whatever you need to do. And then I would really suggest redirecting them to somebody who can help and show them the way. So for instance, we have at LydiaVideo.com, we have a ton of free content and videos that are actually a lot of fun. I know that sounds interesting, but like we actually have a lot of fun with the topic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people say like, whoa, I see your videos and it's like you were reading my mind and knew exactly what was happening. So to even give them a resource, like, hey, maybe check out these videos see if this resonates with you at all. If not, cool. If so, like, I would love to look into it with you. But for you to not have a conversation of like, what's the action plan? What are we going to do? Because Mm -hmm. here's a danger that comes up is a lot of times people with eating disorders will be trying to fix it in ways that actually make it worse. So if you say, how can I support you? A lot of times it's not intuitive. And so they're going to be like, oh, you can support me by just, you know, ask me every night, did I eat on track with my diet, you know, just, you know, ask me and really make me accountable. What I need is more accountability. And they don't even realize that's actually going to drive their eating disorders to be worse, but they don't know what help to ask for because they've been trying the conventional wisdom they've heard that's actually making it worse. So redirecting to a good resource after sort of opening up that conversation without judgment is a great, great approach. Okay. And your videos, you, again, you said Lydia videos plural.com? No, not plural. Singular. So lydiavideo.com, L-Y-D-I-A video.com. Okay. Awesome. Let's talk about children and eating disorders in children. What age do you typically see children develop eating disorders? We typically see people 
start developing eating disorders the same year that their mothers put them on diets. Mm. Oh. That's usually between eight to 10 years old. We see a lot of women say that was when my mom took me with her to her Weight Watchers meeting. That was when my mom said, you're getting a little chubby. Why don't we do this? This is the year that my mom said the boys can have donuts, the girls can't. This is the time where my mom said, you really shouldn't be eating that. You don't want to get fat, do you? That's when it starts. So it really can pop up at any time. But again, restrictive dieting is the number one cause of eating disorders. And a lot of times before women even have a chance to develop a normal relationship with food, you know, with the best intentions. I mean, like our moms are in a place where we live in a world where there is so much emphasis on thinness for value that they're just, oh, please, anything. I want my daughter to be anything but fat. And so they're just trying to protect us from that. But the thing is, is they, you know, unbeknownst to them, because they're still in the struggle, you, you know, they went with you to the Weight Watchers meeting, right? Like your mom is restricting as well. So that's a lot of times how it starts. And then this, you know, eating disorder just gets perpetuated and worse as life goes on. Yeah. But for a woman to look at her daughter in, inside their home and say, you don't want to eat that. You might get fat. Don't eat that donut. You have to stop and look in the mirror and say, who bought the donut? I know the eight-year-old didn't go to the store and buy the donut. It's, 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 yeah, you're hitting it from the wrong perspective, I think. That's, that's crazy. An important thing to remember there is, you know, like, you know, as moms, we're all doing our best, right? You know, it's not usually these moms, you know, trying to do something bad. They're literally trying to protect their daughters from the same struggle mm-hmm. that they've had their whole lives, which is hating their bodies. Mm-hmm. And they think if my daughter could just be thinner than me, then she wouldn't have my struggle. And so it comes from this place m- most of the time of, you know, loving and caring, but it's just something that they don't realize how destructive it is. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one cause is having a mother who's very body conscious and diet conscious and on a restrictive diet and putting their children on diets. What are other causes that create these eating disorders in children? Yeah. So really they can come up at any age, but you know, with children or otherwise, there's usually just some thing that starts it. And honestly, Jennifer, that can be anything. Sometimes there is a trauma in life where somebody, you know, eats a lot for comfort and then it turns into a cycle. And sometimes it's restrictive dieting. And sometimes it's a comment that somebody makes, like simply a comment that someone makes about someone's body. And now, oh, I guess I should try to, you know, change my body. Sometimes it can be, you know, sickness or medication that makes somebody, you know, very hungry and start binging. Whatever it is, the good news is however it started doesn't matter because it doesn't keep going for the same reason that it started. So for instance, if it started because of trauma, the only thing that happened is the trauma started it and then the cycle goes and it's the binging and it's the purging or it's the binging and restricting or whatever it is. And it's continued because your brain has created a pattern. It's created a habit out of it. So the good news is, is that you can just break that habit. You don't have to go back and figure out why it started. You don't have to resolve the trauma. You don't have to have coping mechanisms. You don't have to fix yourself. All you need to do is break that pattern. So there are lots of ways for it to start in children or otherwise, but ending it the way it started doesn't matter so much. It's just about ending the cycle. All right. What are the symptoms in children? What, what are things that parents should be on the lookout for? So in younger children, um, a lot of times, you know, if you're finding like, well, and teenagers as well, but like rappers in their room, hiding food is a big one. 
a lot of times the hiding food comes from shame in food, right? If you say, hey, you shouldn't have that, well then. So for instance, I'll give you an example. So, you know, there's a woman, you'll see her video on our, our channel. Her name is Kelly. She's amazing. She had a, an eating disorder for 45 years. She's now completely free. She's she's such a fun woman. But she tells the story about how, you know, her parents put her on a diet and she lost some weight and they gave her lots of praise for it. And then she lost the weight and she went to just like have a candy bar. And her dad's like, oh, you were doing so good. Mm -hmm. And it was that day when she realized it's not okay for me to be seen with food. Food is bad. And so what she did was she took a full-size candy bar and she put it in an opaque glass and she sunk it in a glass of juice and she took it to her room and she went into her closet and she took the candy bar out of her cup of liquid and she ate it secretly by herself. Mm. And so when kids are hiding food, like look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I creating shame around food in my home? That's an important thing. So that's one thing to look for is, you know, if kids are hiding food, if you're finding wrappers, you know, that sort of thing. You know, the other thing, especially for teenagers is just, you know, not seeing them eat. A lot of times the restriction starts with like, oh yeah, no, I already ate at my friend's house. It's a very classic thing of, oh, I ate at my friend's house. I'm not going to eat dinner here, but they didn't eat dinner at their friend's house. They're just trying to skip meals and not eat. So skipping meals is an important thing to look for as a sign as well, especially in like teenagers in the teenagers. Talk to me about our own self-language regarding food, health, our bodies, our body image. What should we not say or think and what should we say and think? Yeah. And so with this, just look at the sort of judgment that you're putting on yourself around your body. Like, are you saying that you had a good day when you ate less? Are you saying you had a bad day when you ate more? Are you looking at your body in the mirror and sort of, you know, picking it apart and being like, oh, okay, well, this isn't good and that's awful. Are you, and just, you know, this is a good thing to take an honest look at. Are you judging others in that way? A lot of times we're the hardest on others the way that we're the hardest on ourselves. So, you know, are you looking at other people and judging their worth? What do you think beauty is? And is that just one thing in your mind? And even if you're extending that like, oh, well, other people are beautiful. I'm just not, I need to lose some weight. Well, you know, that's an important thing to look at. So one, look at the judgment that you're putting on your body. Two, look at the judgment that you're putting on food for yourself and others. And those are just two important elements to look at with the messages that you're sending yourself about that. Is it good? Is it bad? And what are you deciding is good or bad? And what do you say to a woman who finds herself thinking or saying to herself often like, oh, I'm such a pig. I just ate that whole tub of ice cream. Or she looks in the mirror and she thinks, oh, I look so fat in these jeans. Or, oh, I'm so ugly today. What can a woman who who has these bad habits and, and thinks these things, what tips do you have for her to help her spin that around to a positive so she's thinking healthier, feeling healthier about herself? And so with that, everyone is an individual, but the 
principles in general are you need to be able to know in the moment how to recognize that pattern of thought and be able to essentially see it from a different part of your brain. So there's this part of your brain that's just going to say the same stuff all the time that keeps you in the cycle, right? It's like, you know, it says, oh gosh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you know, your brain is saying, you know, you've got to, you know, lose some weight and you've got to do something. Okay, well, you should restrict today. Well, since you're never going to have ice cream again, you should really have ice cream tonight because, you know, after today, that's just not okay because you really have to lose some weight. So then you eat way more ice cream that night than you know you ever would you know if you could have it tomorrow (laughs) Uh and it turns into this this cycle right so the first thing you've got to have is the ability to be aware of that thought in the moment and break that cycle and have that compulsion melt away and that's a specific process and you know it's depending on the individual and it takes some time to do that but one thing that you can look at is what behavior are your thoughts leading you to So sometimes we have this idea of like, oh, if I just feel bad enough about myself, it'll motivate me to stick to my diet. Or, oh, if I just wear these tight jeans all day, then it's going to motivate me to not binge tonight because I'm going to be so miserable. Okay, there's a theory. Look at your actual behavior. Beating yourself up all day, did that lead to more peaceful eating or did it lead to more distorted eating? And so being able to see those patterns and see where it actually leads, not what you think it's going to do in theory, is a really great thing to look at as well. Mm, That's very insightful. Tell us what a healthy relationship with food does look like and and what it feels like too. Yeah. Is it so interesting because... You know, for a normal eater, they're just like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? And for somebody who has disordered eating, it's like, man, I can't even imagine what that would be like. So mm-hmm. one thing to look at is our bodies are very good at eating normally. There's sort of this big fad right now of like, oh, you know, you've got to learn how to eat the right way. And you've got to, you know, use your intuition to figure out just how many bites and how fast you should eat them and all the right foods for you. And like, you know, this this big movement to overcomplicate food. And what that does is it sends us the message of like, it's a hard thing to do. The thing is, is that we have been eating for thousands of years. I mean, like humans, one of the best things that they know how to do is eat in a very normal way. It didn't used to be a complicated thing before we started trying to control it. It's sort of like intuitive breathing, right? Or breathing the right way. Oh, oh gosh, I have too much oxygen. Oh no, I have to breathe out the right way. Oh no, I, I breathed out too much. Oh gosh, I've got to breathe in the right way. If you try to control your breath like that, you're going to get really distorted breathing. But if you just relax and you get rid of trying to control the breathing, you're not even going to think about it. It's going to be a totally natural thing. So one thing that's important to remember is that if you're struggling with disordered eating, the number one thing to do is end the disordered eating. Because when that's gone, then your hunger and fullness signals come back naturally. You start moving into completely normal eating in a very effortless way because your body knows how to do that. You were just the one in the way of your body doing that. So a couple of elements, Jennifer, to look at is one, hunger and fullness signals. Like your body tells you when you're hungry and then your body lets you know, oh, you're full. And it's not about eating the right or wrong amount. I mean, that's going to change from day to day, depending on your metabolism, depending on what you need. But it's not a difficult thing because when you have fullness, you feel that and then your interest in food melts away. 
until you're hungry again. And that may seem very normal for a normal eater. But for instance, when I you know, had bulimia and when I was a binge eater, it was when I was feeling full that I had the, the most intense compulsions to binge. It was that's when really the drive went up and then it felt out of control at the very moment when I felt like I was, you know, full. So normal eating is when you're full, you lose interest in food. And then when you're hungry, then, you know, you, you go back and eat. And it's not something you need to monitor. It's like you don't monitor when you need to go to the bathroom during the day. You just feel it and then you take care of it. And that's really, you know, is, as natural as hunger and fullness signals. The other thing is flexibility. A normal eater... I mean, there are things like, you know, people have food allergies or dietary restrictions or whatever that is. But one element of normal eating is a flexibility with food. Like, oh, we're on vacation. Let's eat here. Oh, gosh, it's I'm hungry, but it's an hour until dinner. I guess I'll just wait. Oh, well, you know what? I'm not really hungry, but we've got some food here right now. And this is when the family's eating. Oh, we're having dessert. Okay, cool. It's not a big deal what you're eating and you have a flexibility in your eating and it's incredibly freeing. It's a really wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to forget about food. You know, people who have disordered eating, they think about food a lot and they are tracking food a lot. So like they know all the food in their cupboard and they know if there's chocolate and they're wondering how long it's going to last and if they get through today. We had a woman in our program, Jennifer, who she used to binge on uh, like chips and during our program, as she was ending her disordered eating, she bought chips from the store and she went back to her cupboard and she opened up the cupboard and she had like four bags of chips in there. And she's like, oh man, I did it again. She kept on buying chips and then realizing she had a ton more because before her chips wouldn't last for more than a day. So she always had to keep buying them, but she just forgot there were chips in the cupboard. Because it's habit to keep buying them. Exactly. And then she's like, oh, I, I still have chips. And that, that's like a miracle to somebody who is in this disordered eating. So those are a couple of elements of normal eating. Okay. One of the most popular diets that I've been hearing lately is something called, and I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm sure you do. It's something called intermittent fasting where you don't eat for the first number of hours when you wake up and you just drink a lot of water and and then all the food that you do eat needs to be within a certain window, like, you know, within a six hour or eight hour window of that 24 hours. And it's supposed to, the extent of my knowledge is that it's supposed to allow your digestive tract to rest, have like a solid, I can't remember what it was, 12 or 18 hours of rest. Uh And then all your calorie intake is in this like six to eight hour window. And so you wake up at whatever time, six, seven, eight AM and you don't eat until noon. And this is such a fad right now. Yeah. Or maybe they'll do coffee, like bulletproof coffee or or some kind of coffee in the morning. But other than that, there's nothing until noon or one o'clock in the afternoon. What's what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I'm glad you bring this up because this is such a prevalent thing right now. And this is the way, you know, fads go. It's like, oh, here's the answer, right? Just like in the 80s, it was like, oh, you know, fat is bad. So just eat a lot of sugar. It's like, how did that work out for everyone? <laughs> yeah, you know? and then there's, like, the, there's paleo and there's exactly. keto and, and now there's this intermittent and it's just like, <laughs> can't keep up. Number one is look at the data. If this is something that you feel is the answer for you, you know, for whoever's listening, just look at the data. When you attempt to eat that way, do you eat in a way that is more peaceful and calm and serves you better? 
Or do you eat in a way that's more distorted and panicky and out of control? Look at the real data and be willing to look at your actual behavior and not just the 10,000 YouTube videos that you watched on all the benefits of intermittent fasting. Like really look at for your own life because that's what counts, right? Mm -hmm. So with intermittent fasting, it's, it's kind of like structured bulimia. It's binging and restricting, right? And again, if it serves you and you're doing it and it's just the best thing ever, okay, great, then it serves you. But what happens is this is actually an extremely attractive diet to those with a disordered eating. Because mm -hmm. like, if you're a smoker or if you're a drinker, you have the luxury of being able to just not do it anymore, to be abstinent, to just like, hey, I'm not going to ever have a drink again. You cannot do that with food. You cannot say, I'm out of control with food. I'm just never going to eat again. So the thing that you have trouble with is literally something you have to interact with five times, three times a day. And so the appeal in intermittent fasting, especially for those with disordered eating, is it's sort of like, oh, I could just take a break. I could just not eat. This is a way to just not eat. And so they're like, that's my answer. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, maybe I can eat more during this window, but then I'll, I'll have some controls. I'm so out of control. I have to do this to control myself. So what happens is they have this time where maybe for a time it like feels okay. Like, oh good, I get to have a break with food. And then, oh no, it's the food window. Oh, or good, it's the food window. And then they end up binging in that time. And then they go back to the restricting when they're not eating during, you know, that like resting time when they're not eating and then they come back around it and then the binges are even bigger, right? So if this is the first time that you've done it, you might have some time where there's sort of this placebo effect where it shocks your body into like feeling a little calmer for a minute. And then oftentimes the binging behavior and the restricting gets like way violent where it is like worse than ever because your body's in this crisis mode of like, we've been starving for so long. We've got to eat a ton right now. And so in, this is actually a very prevalent way right now that eating disorders are starting. People who have never had struggles with food will get into intermittent fasting. And because it's like structured binging and purging, you know, because it's like the binge and restrict, then all of a sudden they're literally giving themselves this pattern in their lives. And they're like, and now it's out of control because now anytime that I go to restrict and stop eating, I have such a drive to eat that I binge and then I feel even worse. So I make my, you know, not eating window even longer. So yeah, it's, it's, just look at you know your behavior, right? If it serves you, awesome. But what we see more than not is that it's actually sort of a structured way to create disordered eating. Mm. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. All right, last serious question. And it kind of goes along the lines with intermittent fasting, but it's this other diet. I don't even know what it's called. But I have a lot of friends who do this actually where they have scales in their kitchen and they will weigh their food and they count their calories and they keep journals. And many of these people that I see doing this are overweight, have been for some time, and they're not losing the weight that they want to be losing. They're not achieving the health goals that they want. So what is this diet? Why are so many people counting calories, weight, like macro? I don't even know what it's called, but they have these scales and they weigh yeah. everything. I don't have enough time or energy in the day to, to worry about weighing my food and knowing exactly how much, you know, every little teeny tiny portion should be. And I, you know, I want to look at many of them and just say, just stop drinking all the soda that you're drinking and stop the desserts and stop the sugar and then eat as much kale as you want and eat as much, you know, 
I don't know. So, so what is, what is this whole craze about with measuring and weighing and the scales and counting calories? What is, what is that? How did it come about? Is it beneficial in any way for somebody other than maybe like an Olympian, Olympian who's trying to yeah, get the right ounces of protein? And yeah, yeah. How, how is this beneficial for the average person? You know, coming from a place of if you're a normal eater, Jennifer, then it's like, well, just eat what you want and then move on. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is, you know, one big drive to weigh and measure everything is because when you are in the cycle of disordered eating, you stop trusting yourself. Mm. So you think like, oh, well, if I can just control everything, because I can't trust myself if I just control and measure and have a meal plan and make sure that everything is the right, you know, ounces, well, then that'll save me, right? But what happens is that turns into another kind of restriction. It, what I call, it, it creates a bunch of wagons to fall off of. So this is essentially what starts happening is you know, we go all gung-ho into like, okay, I'm just going to do everything perfect and I'm going to lose the weight and it's going to be so awesome. And I just, you know, have to have this many ounces of protein here and this many cups of vegetables and I'm just going to follow this plan and I'm going to take all the guesswork out of it. And that's what I need because I can't trust myself. So what happens is you're like, I have this many calories and I have this many ounces of whatever. And because you give yourself that limit, it creates this wagon to fall off of this promise to break where what I was only supposed to have six ounces of this, but now I had eight ounces and now, well, that was over. So I might as well go a little over here. And well, you know, that's just totally blown the day. Like, you know, the day is ruined. So I might as well just eat whatever and binge for the rest of the night because tomorrow I'm going to be perfect and I'm going to stick with my plan. So that's a lot of times why people who are heavier and heavier, where they have this yo-yo dieting, where they're gaining more and more, it's because they stick to something for a little while and then it, their eating gets worse than ever once they've sort of fallen off the wagon and had these, these promises to break. And so that's a lot of times what happens. So that's where it comes from. It's just wanting to control things more, right? Mm. And a lot of times people will be like, well, it just helps me to know what a normal portion is or, you know, whatever that is. And, you know, if you want to weigh your stuff to figure that out, but if you didn't have disordered eating, you'd probably just know what a normal portion is because your body would tell you what that is. And another element to look at here, Jennifer, is when, when somebody is gaining more and more weight and getting heavier and heavier, I have a really good video called What Will Happen to My Weight? on the LydiaVideo.com channel. Um, and it talks about set point. And what happens is when we restrict, it actually tells our body, it signals our body to be permanently larger. So if somebody's dieting and restricting, it tells your body that, okay, well, as soon as we're done losing this weight, gain it all back plus some. And so what happens is if you used to naturally, you know, sort of float at this weight when everything is sort of normal, all of a sudden your set point weight, that place you naturally go to gets higher and higher and higher. And the longer we restrict, the more our set point weight gets heavier and heavier. So the danger in that, and you can be healthy at any size, but this is the reaction of your body of what happens is we try harder and harder because we are gaining more and more weight. So we try to restrict more. And that very thing is the thing that's pushing up our weight higher and higher and making our eating worse. And so it's really this awful cycle where you feel more and more out of control and you feel like you have to control more of everything. And so you're weighing and measuring all your food. Hmm. Wow. That's intense. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so thankful there are people like you in the world to help people with these, 
with these habits and these disorders. Thank you for doing what you do. Let's move into some fun questions. I like to ask people at the end of our interviews, what is your favorite book? Yes. Oh, gosh. I I have so many. Um, there's so many good books in the world. Um, <laughs> yes, there are. A book that had a big impact on me that really helped me because, you know, I I was one of these people. I had an eating disorder for a long time. And, you know, one book that really helped me to move into a place of authenticity and really wanting to align my life and find a way to be done and all of that was a book called uh, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I think she does great things in the world. You know, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert is a really great one. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself is a really good one. I think it just depends. I feel like life just sort of is anchored by the book that changed things for you. And then you're sort of in this new chapter and then you find the next book that changed things for you. So but those are a few of my favorites. Mm, I love Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself too by yeah. uh, Dr. Joe. Yeah, uh-huh. a, a real game changer there. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's your favorite way to show love or, or self-care to yourself? I think acceptance. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm sad, just moving into a place of, hey, I accept that I'm sad. And you know what? You can be sad as long as you want, Lydia, because you don't have to be anything else. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when I'm happy, just accepting that and sinking into it and not worrying, oh, am I celebrating too much? What if everything comes crashing down? You know what I mean? Just like, you know what? I'm going to let myself be happy. So I think just that acceptance and letting myself be you know, whatever I am at that moment um, without judgment is probably the, the biggest way that I show love to myself. What is one action from human beings you would like to see more of in this world? Oh, ending restriction. That would, <laughs> something to understand is we don't have to have eating disorders on this planet. It's a first world problem that literally is created by restriction. Like, it's, it's sort of like, you know, we know exactly how to end eating disorders, but we also know how to not start eating disorders. If we lived in a world where people weren't trying to, you know, restrict and manipulate their bodies and when we didn't have, you know, this beauty standard of, you know, you, you know, thin equals your worth, you know, like whatever you are as a woman, if you really want to have power, be thin enough, then that would be just a completely different world. So I think, you know, stopping putting little girls on diets, that's what I want to see happen. Mm, I like that. I like that. What makes a person beautiful to you? So I really like to move into a place where the measure isn't beauty. Why beauty? You know, like, you know, just somebody's worth, like, you know, look at that person and be like, you know, where is that person's worth and value? And, you know, what's unique about this person? And I think I know what you mean by the question, but I think what's maybe admirable in someone is the ability to see things another way. I think that's one of the most powerful things that people can do is to examine their own brains and to see what they believe and to ask themselves, am I willing to see it another way? And when they do have that willingness, I think that people can become the best versions of themselves. Mm. So the ability to see things in another way, meaning just being open-minded and willing to see different perspectives. Yeah. Am I willing to see it from someone else's perspective? But are you also willing to see it from another perspective yourself, right? Yeah. Like the things, as soon as you know something, then you cut yourself off from being able to understand more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just moving into that, you know what? Like, what if I did see this another way or am I willing to? And it doesn't mean that you're right or wrong, but Mm -hmm. if you're willing to see it in another way, then that you're able to have, you know, more insight. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you have a life motto or a favorite quote? Yeah, so I'll tell you sort of like the one that I put out to the world, and then I'll tell you a weird one <laughs> that I actually live by. <laughs> um, it's actually like tattooed on my ribs. <laughs> so uh, the first one is, you know, you live your whole life from your mind. And so just make it a place that you love to be. And what was the last part? Live your whole life from your mind and what? Yeah, you live your whole life from your mind, your own brain. So make it a place that you love to be. Oh, yes. You know, in those quiet moments when you're just alone with yourself, you know, we have that internal dialogue forever, as long as we are conscious, you know, and so really making it a place that's full of love and acceptance and, you know, goodness and all of that is, is a great thing, I think. And then the other one, it's going to, I don't know, maybe I'm just going to say it. There we go. So this is something that's actually a great motto and really helps me to focus is just realizing that, you know, all the meaning in life is, for me at least, uh, so much meaning comes from that this life is temporary, you know, that it's not permanent. And so anytime that I'm, you know, having a hard time or where I'm thinking, you know, is it, is it really worth it? You know, this cause, this isn't easy to grow. It isn't easy, you know, to, to make the, the world change, you know, like all of that. I just come back to this statement of you're going to die. Mm. I just remind myself of that. Like anytime that anything goes up, like, well, Lydia, you're going to die. And then all of a sudden, everything comes into focus. Well, I know that I'm going to die, so I'm not going to be stressed about this. I know that I'm going to die, so I might as well make a mark on the world. You know, I know that I'm going to die, so I might as well just do this, you know, hard thing that I need to do. I've got a limited amount of time. I'll just move forward. And it's actually a wonderful focus. I don't know if that would serve everyone, <laughs> but for me, just to be like, hey, you're going to die is super helpful. Yeah, it does help you put things into perspective quickly and it helps you prioritize what's most important in the moment for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that sometimes as well. Uh, yeah, I love it. Love it. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for being with us today. How can people find you, learn more from you and get in touch with you? Yeah. So we actually have something really special for like your, your listeners and those in your world is what we do. We have an incredible team and myself. And one thing that we offer to really create this change and this freedom for anybody who doesn't want to have an eating disorder anymore and who wants to have that peace is we actually offer a free session where we will help you step-by-step, step, just one-on-one -on -one, to be able to get the foundation of freedom, which is clarity. And that's where we really get clear on the pattern that's happening with food and really, you know, what freedom means in your own life and, you know, how to bridge the gap so that you can be done. And that clarity, it's sort of like a GPS, like you've got to know, you know, where you're going and where you're at right now so that you can have a really clear path of how to get there. And so we offer that as, as a free service to the world. We have a huge demand. Get on the waiting list if there aren't any openings as we get booked up very quickly. But what people can do is they can go to lifewithlydia.com slash apply. And that's again, lifewithlydia.com slash apply. And there's a calendar page there. And if you see an availability that works on your schedule to snap it up right away, and then we'll send you further instructions. And this is all completely, you know, confidential. And, you know, we're, we're happy to help you to get that first step and, you know, help you to be free or direct you to, you know, somebody who's a better fit. But this is something that we, that we give to those who would like to really be out of this cycle and have that freedom. Great. And your website is lifewithlydia.com? Yep. You got it. Perfect. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, Lydia, thank you so much. I appreciate you being with us today. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. 
Thanks for tuning in to The Marriage Show. I appreciate the time you took to be with me today. If you love this show as much as I love making it, please subscribe, rate, and leave me a five-star review. That will allow us to inspire more people together. And if there's someone in your life that would benefit from any of the subjects we discuss here on the show, please share it with them. Text it to them, screenshot it, or email the link. Let's change lives together. Let's spread the love. Oh, and please find me on social media and tell me what subject you would like me to discuss here on the show. So head over to Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I really would love your suggestion. And if you want to check the show notes from today's episode, you can find them at www.themarriageshow.com. And you can also listen to all of my other episodes there as well. Until next time, love one another. (laughs) 